0: Welcome, welcome to the Accept, Then Achieve podcast, where we help high achievers follow their hearts and achieve more through self-acceptance first. I'm your host, Dr. Tony, MD, cartoonist, and nomad. I was a model Asian child, an Ivy League doctor until age 30. But in 2018, I quit to pursue my true passions for art, teaching, and traveling the world, despite furious backlash, disappointment, and outcasting from my Asian immigrant family. Tiger parenting and other high-pressure cultures demand that we conform and achieve in order to finally feel worthy, good enough, and acceptable. But they have it backwards. Achieving through pushing and shaming ourselves wrecks our mental health and can only get us so far. We may end up feeling burned out or empty because those goals weren't truly meaningful to us, even though we did all the right things. There's a kinder, wiser, and more effective way to live and achieve this show will help you discover who you truly are apart from others' expectations and create an authentic and joyful life of natural excelling from your fullest expression. Who you are is more than okay and more than enough. You belong unconditionally and you can actually achieve more if you accept first. Let's dive in. Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of Accept, Then Achieve. Today on episode two, we're gonna build on the questions you answered in episode one and figure out where your answers about success, your life goals, and being acceptable came from. Were they really from you, or did somebody else influence or program them into you? Where did these success metrics come from anyway? They're pretty arbitrary when we take a closer look at them. We were all kids once, very, very easily influenced because we had to absorb everything we could to learn and grow up. You know how kids are like a sponge for foreign languages, but past a certain age, it's really hard to learn a new one. That's how malleable and open we are to everything when we're young, even to unconscious messages, which were implied or taught by role models. Do what I say, but not what I do. But you know how it is, we usually end up paying attention to what they do more than what they say our parents are often our first and strongest role models and later on our classmates friends teachers tv magazines social media and everyone else around us too fun fact what your mom ate while pregnant with you actually affects your taste buds and food preferences too studies have found so a lot happens before you're even born both nature and nurture matter genetics, and your environment. Actually, a famous Hungarian psychologist, Laszlo Polgar, ran an experiment to see if he could train or groom his three children all into chess prodigies, even though he and his wife were just average players and people, and he succeeded. It's crazy how influencible we are in our young ages and how much we can absorb, especially with encouragement and reinforcement. We were all raised by imperfect humans, so of course we're going to absorb some unhealthy ideas along with the good ones. Whether we like it or not, we were all influenced by our surroundings. There's no way we could have avoided it. Even if you grew up in total isolation, in a bubble with nobody else to interact with, you're still absorbing some message, perhaps that the world is dangerous or lonely or that you're unlovable or unworthy of love and attention and care. In fact, studies have found that babies fail to survive if they aren't touched enough or given enough social interaction, even if they were given all of the food and nutrients that they needed physically. Human touch is absolutely vital, and so is human love. There are a couple other studies too, like about the monkeys preferring a softer cloth mother that they could touch and Hold on to versus a mother without that soft component, but had food. So there's a lot out there. Um, and it really truly breaks my heart that so many people don't grow up with the love or emotional nurturing they deserve. Even if this nutritional deficiency is not visible on a blood test, it shows up in many other ways as invisible scars. And I'm not talking only about cases of outright abuse or harm but even just simply emotional neglect. Please go check out Dr. Jonas Webb's, she's a psychologist, symptoms questionnaire in the show, notes, links, to see if you've experienced childhood emotional neglect or CEN. If you are a high achiever or overachiever, always striving to prove yourself because you don't feel like you're enough, you may have experienced this. Even if you remember your childhood as mostly happy, Neglect is much, much more about what you didn't get as opposed to what you did get. And that's much harder to remember or pinpoint. And most of us don't know what we were missing until we see the devastating effects it has on us in adulthood, such as chronic feelings of emptiness, restlessness, discontent, feeling out of place, this unbelonging feeling, low self-esteem, low self-worth, inability to make decisions or know what we want, need, feel, or prefer, and many other symptoms. Not getting what you needed to develop into a thriving, fully functional and healthy adult is just as important as how you were treated or what happened to you. Some of us were treated harshly, cruelly, or unfairly, physically, verbally, or emotionally, but childhood emotional neglect is a subtle and often overlooked issue. I'm glad it's now getting more attention. For me, coming from a strict Asian tiger parenting culture and family, I know my parents had the best of intentions, but the way they treated me ended up having some harmful effects on my mental health, self-esteem and self-image. Calling me constantly stupid, fat, lazy and rarely complimenting or praising me made me feel like I was all those things and never good enough, lovable, or worthy enough to deserve good things. From their perspective, they think praise makes children's heads big and they'll just become complacent, satisfied, and lazy and won't try to be better anymore if they already feel like they're good enough. But for me, being told so many times I was these things reinforced that they were true and every time they were said out loud, it felt more and more true. And I noticed I started talking to myself that way too, being really, really hard on myself, since my inner critic's voice came directly from what I was used to hearing and heard most often. An experiment done by David Bredhoff found that we are impacted by words greatly, or at least our bodies are, even just on a subconscious level. When he asked participants to hold up their arm in resistance to being pushed down, the arm couldn't actually do it after saying out loud, I am a weak and worthless person, 10 times. So crazy, right? It sure isn't true that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And this is why affirmations, ones that our body and subconscious actually really can believe, can work as part of our healing process, even though they can seem hokey, cheesy, unbelievable, or too simple of a method because it is a vital human need to get reassurance, encouragement, and comfort through words, actions, and touch. It doesn't make us too weak or needy at all. My parents' harsh methods fell under the umbrella of the authoritarian parenting style, which is very hierarchical. Parents know best, so children were expected to obey them without question because they were older and wiser. And if you talked back or rebelled, You were dismissed invalidated or harshly punished or worse i know that's probably how they were raised by their parents and the cycle just passes down unfortunately because they didn't know better they didn't know any other way to parent it may have been less hassle too to beat or threaten your kids into obedience rather than deal with conflicts and negotiations and open conversations They were also overprotective of me, not in the way other helicopter parents may be, being very intrusive and not giving me any privacy, but they were very fearful and didn't allow me to go out to sleepovers or to go out after dark. I know it came from worry and the best of intentions, wanting to keep me safe, because they loved me so much and thought the world was a dangerous place as it had been for them in their childhoods, growing up in the poverty, chaos, and violence of China's cultural revolution. They were also very strict with grades and high expectations. I remember getting such an earful, being shamed, blamed, and called stupid so much when I got my first bad grade on a pop quiz that I swore to never let that happen again. From then on, I studied as much as I could, anxiously over preparing for everything I felt like I had to constantly prove myself in order to belong in the family and that I wasn't bringing the family honor if I wasn't continually achieving and accomplishing the next milestone. I clung to the breadcrumbs of praise they gave me, very rarely. I was so starved for approval, validation, reassurance, and encouragement. My worth was conditional and so dependent on their approval and moods which wavered from day to day anyway, which left me a nervous wreck. And yet I still felt I fell short of their expectations, especially since I wasn't traditionally girly, such as liking dolls, makeup, or fashion. I related a lot to the Disney movie, Mulan. If I went to a matchmaker, she'd probably also throw me out saying, I'm unfit to bear sons and no man would ever want me. This is where and why I learned messages such as my worth depends on how good of a daughter I can be, how well behaved, sweet, accommodating and smart I could be. This is the way to live, right? Being tight knit and enmeshed with your family and of course taking care of them when they're older, all to show gratitude for them birthing and raising you and sacrificing so much for you. It wasn't until I stepped out of this bubble to learn about other cultures and other people's experiences that I learned this wasn't a hard truth or a hard and fast rule. One friend pointed out, your parents chose to have you. You had no choice in the matter, so why do you owe them your entire life? Some cultures even think that parents owe their children more. They chose to have them and take on this responsibility of caring for, guiding, and nurturing a new human into blossoming into who they were meant to be, or at least supporting what they want them to be, or what they want to be, excuse me, what the children want to be, not trying to force them to become what the parents want them to be, as if they were merely an arm or leg or extension of themselves, created to reflect well on them and to be their trophy to show off or to fulfill the dreams that they never dared to go for or couldn't reach? Why is it not their responsibility to take care of themselves? Don't you have enough on your plate to take care of yourself and your own children too? These were all great questions and ones I still struggle to answer. I welcome your thoughts if you want to comment, message, or be a guest on this podcast. The other main parenting styles are permissive, where the parents are too lenient and treat their children more like friends or fellow adults and let them do whatever they want or neglect them without any limits or guidance. And then there's authoritative parenting, which is the middle ground between authoritarian and permissive parenting. And permissive parenting doesn't end up leading to good outcomes for children either. Without guidance and learning some limitations and self-control, they may have difficulty regulating themselves or become spoiled, entitled, or treat others poorly, or suffer from the neglect and lack of concern or care for them. It's hard to say which end of the extreme is better or worse. However, studies have found that the best is the middle approach, imposing some discipline and restrictions, but providing this guidance in a loving, nurturing way and giving kids some freedom to make their own decisions Ideally, in a gradual way as they get older, increasing responsibilities in a way that is manageable for them. This requires attunement to the child, though, knowing them deeply and what works for them, a sort of sensitivity that some parents lack, especially if they never learn to be sensitive to their own internal world and emotions. We can only do as much as we've learned to do for ourselves, and we do things the way we saw our parents and role models do. Also. Praise, encouragement, and positive reinforcement are vital to healthy development, something that is not practiced in many cultures, such as my own. Criticism was a plenty of what I was still missing or lacking or not doing well enough, but rarely was I told, good job, or I'm proud of you. My straight A's were glanced at and nodded off as if they were expected and no big deal. For me, it only made me work harder to try to get some recognition. But for others, it may have resulted in them giving up and wondering, what's the point anyway, if all they ever got was a lukewarm response or criticism in the best case scenarios. The DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, now recognizes chronic or complex post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD as an official diagnosis which I'm so glad for, Um, which it often comes from just not one traumatic incident, but years of being treated a certain way, often in childhood where children were powerless to change their circumstances, or they did not know better, or chose to stay anyway because they were so attached to their caregivers that the thought of changing to unknown ones was even more terrifying than staying in an awful situation. This is not to say that all strict parenting is abusive. There's a wide range and it's full of complexities and nuances. And all this isn't to blame parents either. With some exceptions, I truly believe that every parent loves their child and tries their best for them in their own way, to the best of their knowledge and capacities. Some struggle with their own demons, mental health issues, addictions, poverty, job instability, or other issues or perhaps they have too many people to care for, so it's very hard for them to do justice to everyone. Nobody had a perfect or ideal childhood. Back to the topic of programming. Our families are definitely one place we learn spoken and unspoken rules about the world, what the meaning of life is and often the importance of fitting in. What is normal and acceptable or unacceptable? We also learn from our peers, friends, classmates, teachers, strangers, and the media. We're constantly bombarded by messages of what life should be like now that um, how we should be, look, think, dress, act, or do. Most kids are pretty happy with themselves and their bodies until they learn to compare themselves to others and an impossible ideal standard, which only a small fraction ever actually meet. About 10%. What you see in magazines and TV are often fake. They're Photoshopped, airbrushed, altered, or taken at certain flattering angles only. They don't show the whole picture. One study found that by age 13, 53% of American girls reported that they're unhappy with their bodies. This grows to 78% by the time the girls turn 17. That's heartbreaking. This is so crazy because the ideal body is so different depending on the culture. Some value more curvy bodies, some more slender, some pale, and some more tanned. The very fact that there's such variation should tell us that there is no one right way to live or one right standard. There is so much comparison made worse, especially by social media, which sets unrealistically high expectations. It shows only the highlights of someone's life and never actually represents their entire life. It makes us feel worse about our lives and where we're at because it's impossible. It's not a fair comparison at all to compare someone's cherry picked beautiful flowers from their garden to our entire garden with its whole range of flowers and fruits and plants and weeds because they're not showing us their weeds which makes us feel bad for having ours. Increased screen time, advances in technology and texting, and the COVID-19 pandemic have left people more lonely, isolated, and dissatisfied than ever before. And as a result, we tend to be even harder on ourselves and even more vulnerable to this automatic comparison game. But with awareness, we can choose whether we want to continue playing this game or not. Ads know just how to manipulate us, our weak points, and take advantage of all of our senses too such as smell, taste, and imagination. Did you know that even if we aren't aware of it, we're still being influenced? A study found that when they flashed a picture of a certain soda brand during a movie, when it was done so quickly that people didn't even consciously register it, this subliminal message still affected them and made them more likely to crave that soda brand. (laughs) It's so crazy how easily influenced we can be even when we don't realize we're being influenced. A lot of other times, other people influence us simply by leading by example, too. If your friend buys a luxury car, say, you might feel pressured to do the same, to keep up with the Joneses, as they say, especially if you came from a family that constantly compared you to others in efforts to motivate you to do better. It's so true that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, usually, or the five people closest to you in your life we are not truly solid matter we are all made up of atoms with its particles the protons neutrons and electrons moving within empty space in between them so it's only natural that our particles will interact in some way with other people's particles especially if we're in close proximity to them by the way i grew up an atheist and was a hard scientist requiring proof for everything. And now I'm more spiritual, but I think this concept applies no matter where you are on the spectrum of spirituality. Anyway, this is why so many of us follow the usual life path that is prescribed for you with variations based on your particular culture, religion, country and surroundings and your family, too. I can only speak of my own experiences growing up Chinese American, but I would love to hear your stories and perspectives too. So the usual typical American dream is the house with the white picket fence, two cars and two kids. Many cultures equate success directly with money too. Some have even turned what should be completely optional choices into necessary life milestones or status symbols, such as getting married or having kids. The Chinese dream is pretty similar. Get as high paying and steady of a job as you can, usually this was only guaranteed in certain fields, which led to the mantra, doctor, lawyer, or engineer, or you're a loser. You wonder why there are so many Asian pre-med students. I think every Asian child has at some point considered or tried becoming a doctor if they had traditional parents, myself included and then make as much money as you can so you can live a comfortable life. Buy nice things to show off how well you're doing, to impress your family and friends with lavish gifts, meals, and shiny things, and raise the family with comfort. I give them credit that they provide a lot for their kids and cover everything financially and physically when they can. They highly value education and are willing to spend on even higher graduate degrees for their kids, even the crazy expensive Ivy League schools. They really try to give their kids every opportunity that they can for them to lead hopefully better lives than their parents, especially if they were immigrants to a supposedly better country. They often also make sure their kids are well fed, like really well fed, (laughs) cooking every meal and always stocked with snacks at home, at least in my household. They show their love through more practical ways, such as feeding you, buying you clothes or necessary items, keeping a roof over your head and the lights on through frugality and hard work, working longer hours for more pay or to advance higher up in the chain. These are all really admirable qualities of my culture that I am proud of. I just wish that we could also incorporate meeting our emotional needs and mental health too. As a young child, I was given more grace and comfort for when I messed up or had big emotions, but after a certain age, perhaps around 10, I was told that it's time to grow up and that it was not okay to be sad or mad or show any negative or unpleasant emotions anymore. Everyone was supposed to work hard and shikhu, which means to eat bitterness, to advance to the next stage of life. We were literally encouraged to swallow down our feelings in pain which sadly doesn't go away if you ignore or push them down they always find a way eventually to come bubbling back up or leaking out in other ways against our control and often worse than being pent up if we had oh it's often worse after being pent up than if we had healthily expressed processed and dealt with them in the first place or they can come out as chronic pain in our bodies that we carry with us for the rest of our lives. But more on this later. Anyway, those two cultures I grew up in led to this well-paved path that was laid out for me. And I guess I was smart or hardworking or perhaps terrified enough to make it past pre-med and to actually do medicine for so long. But at some point, it was like waking up from the matrix. I wondered, Why? Why did this not feel right? What? I tried to ignore it, but I've always been someone who is genuinely curious and needs to understand the reasons behind doing something. When I dared to ask, that is. I became almost allergic to authority figures just telling me what to do because I said so. After finding blogs of people who were living alternative lifestyles, such as traveling the world as nomads, not buying a house and working online so they could travel more than just the three weeks of vacation usually given in most American nine to five jobs and finding myself really yearning for what they had, I wondered, wait, why can't I? Why on earth are we supposed to settle down and stay rooted in one place for the rest of our lives? Why are we supposed to work until age 65? for 40 hours a week? Why are we supposed to live close to our families, especially if they're mean to us? Why are we, especially women, seen as inferior, selfish, or something wrong with us if we choose not to get married or have kids? Why am I supposed to make a lot of money if I'm pretty happy with my current lifestyle and what I have now and won't even know what I'd do with all that extra anyway? Is this really what I want? The life I want? Or is this just jumping off the bridge simply because everybody else is doing it? Jumping onto the bandwagon syndrome. It was really, really, really painful, confronting and uncomfortable to question all of this and to dare to go against the grain. I felt like I was the only one swimming upstream when I first started my journey after that awakening nine years ago and it felt incredibly scary, lonely, dark, depressing, and hopeless. I felt even more that there's gotta be something wrong with me. Maybe I've lost it. I'm officially cray now after so many hours of sleep deprivation, 24-hour shifts, overworking, and being yelled at by both my bosses and my higher-ups and my parents. Even now, Five years of living my authentic path after four years of preparing for it is still hard on me sometimes. I get discouraged and so tired of being a black sheep, an outcast, a misfit with my family, and sometimes just want to give it up and go back to a more normal and acceptable path. But having already lived it, lived both ways and been miserable, I now know both evils. And I can honestly say that living my truth is the lesser of them. At least now I can live with myself at the end of the day. I'm in alignment with my genuine values, and I have hope for things to be better as I grow my supportive chosen family and work towards my goals, which eventually would overlap with my parents' values anyway, of having more stability and security in my life i don't think i'm a piece of crap anymore <laughs> in fact i think i can say that i'm, I'm a pretty awesome person or I'm a, I'm a pretty okay person at least without feeling guilty or arrogant about saying that i'm a good friend a caring soul and a brave adventurer it freaked me out for so long the thought of doing this podcast and public speaking since i'm an introvert and have social anxiety but i'm finally here facing this fear I have so much more self worth now, confidence, energy, joy, passion and zest for life, peace and trust within myself, to be able to figure out and handle anything that comes my way. It is far better than being stuck, not knowing what I really want, living a lie for others, being a stranger to myself, being so vulnerable and sensitive to their every remark or look of approval or disapproval and full of anger, resentment, and bitterness at myself and others for not having the strength or courage to do what I really wanted to do. I was not proud of where I was before, blaming others and being a victim of my circumstances and my own making, my own choices. It feels so much better to have taken full responsibility for my life and to take the power back into my own hands to dare to live life differently, to care more about what I think, what I think than what other people think, to be able to validate, encourage, and support myself and the dreams that were buried deep within my heart for so long. And it's been a pleasant surprise to find so many others who feel the same way and are on a similar journey. It's not talked about enough, but we are here to break the stigma and silence. It is okay to be different. It's even so great to be different. Nobody is exactly alike and we all have valid reasons to like and want what we want for our own unique, precious and deeply personal life. I try not to judge others and don't want to be judged either. I really believe in the live and let live philosophy. Now, I'm not saying don't give a hoot about what anyone else thinks or never consider anybody else. It's hard not to, and we were wired to be social, to be safe, to belong, and to care about others. I'm just saying to consider yourself too, to find a balance that ideally creates a win-win scenario for everyone. And if not, then one that is a middle ground somewhere, as long as it doesn't harm anyone, yourself included. If you continue sacrificing your true self, living a life that is not yours, living a life according to everyone else's standards and expectations, you soon won't have any more of yourself to give or live. There's a quote by Raymond Hull that says, he who trims himself to suit everyone else will soon whittle himself away. That hits. (laughs) You may become a walking shell of a person, living the life of a zombie, on autopilot, numb, aching for true or full expression, never allowing yourself to experience true joy, bliss, passion or belonging. If you have to change or contort yourself to belong to a group, that is not true belonging and that is not sustainable. It becomes exhausting to hide who you really are. But if you can fully be yourself know that you are worthy and acceptable already just as you are, however you are, and you find people who can see, know, and celebrate your true you, well, that sense of peace and belonging is on a whole nother level. Even if it's painful to break away and go against what you've always known and whom you always belong to, I promise you that you can and will be able to find belonging again. And even a deeper, richer, and truer sense of belonging. Once you find that within you and accept yourself fully, then you can go on to achieve things that only you can do for this world, or just for your loved ones, or community, or even just for yourself. I loved Brené Brown's quote. True belonging is believing in and belonging to yourself, so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you truly are. Ah. And if you never dare to find or show who you truly are, you never can truly belong. If there's anything i hope for you to take away from this episode it's that you deeply matter and your genuine beliefs desires and opinions are all valid you count even if it's only you you are prioritizing or considering in this moment it is not selfish at all because when you deeply settle into belonging to yourself you will create unbelievable ripple effects for other people, whether directly or indirectly, you will have so much more to give. And you can inspire even strangers with how truthfully you dare to live. We humans also have a natural drive to contribute to others or to something larger than ourselves. And you naturally will once you find your groove, your unique song and voice. Don't worry, it's not selfish to take care of you. I hope you'll use these prompts to question your past programming and influences, explore every area of your life, get to know them and yourself deeply and clearly so you can reach an even greater level of belonging in your life. Number one, what was your upbringing like? What cultural, religious or other influences did you have? What are you happy and proud of? And what did you wish was different? And what style of parenting would you say best fit your caregivers? Number two, where did all of your metrics and goals from episode one come from? Are these desires and metrics genuinely yours or others? Number three, if you were the only human on earth, would this still be true? Or if you were king or queen of the world or God or leader and had total free reign and could create a world or system, what would you set as the metrics for what would be a good life or a successful life? Or another way of thinking about this, how would you live your life if no one ever knew about it, or no one could ever find out about it? What would you do or not do? And number four, just a one to ponder on, why do you think it's better to be in the majority? Any reason other than social ostracization or the pain and loneliness of being different, being judged, shamed, picked on, yelled at, criticized. Do you think more people doing it automatically means that it's better? If so, why? In summary, we all got our current beliefs, rules, worldviews, and goals from somewhere. None of us are immune to outside input. Because humans were wired to be social and tribal creatures, and it brings us comfort to do things other people are doing, to see others lead and go first to show that that path is safe. But we harm ourselves when we take it to an extreme, and don't try at all to find or listen to our own inner voice and wisdom. And in this day and age, we don't have to limit ourselves to living like those closest to us or in our immediate surroundings. We can find role models for whatever kind of life we want to live with the power of the internet. So I want you to take your goals through this test, check out where they came from, what your reasons were for choosing them and see if you genuinely still like your reasons and clarify what they would be if you had total free reign and permission to want anything you want unapologetically. As always, feel free to message me your thoughts and responses or share them with my Exceptions Facebook community. I'd love to hear from you, particularly if you have questions or differing viewpoints. If you want to dive deeper into restructuring your goals, flipping them on their head, rewiring your thoughts or beliefs about yourself, book a call with me. I'm always happy to discuss these topics, give you personalized feedback on your situation and point you towards recommended support and resources. If we work together further, we can explore all this together and come up with a personalized step-by-step plan for getting you out of this prison of other people's expectations to a life that you truly feel good about and deep in your bones and one that doesn't defy but manages or even incorporates other standards without sacrificing your own. We can also dive deeply into your past to heal childhood wounds and present day relationships with your family that may still be holding you back from reaching your fullest potential and expression, which could look like going for the career or lifestyle that you really want, or being able to find or maintain a healthy, loving, intimate relationship or close friendships and not passing on the cycle to your future children. To achieve all the goals that are meaningful to you, Accepting yourself and what you truly value and desire makes the journey so much easier. I'm also accepting guests on this podcast to share their stories, experiences, and lessons. We are stronger together, and there is so much we can learn from one another. Let's accept and then achieve. See you next week. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a review, share with someone you love or subscribe so that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to connect more about any of these topics, feel free to schedule a chat with me at drtoony.com, D-R-T-O-O-N-I.com, or join my exceptions self-acceptance community. Links are all in the show notes. See you next week.